0: Welcome to CityReach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com.
1: So yeah,
2: Let's give it up for Jesus. Um, every time I watch those videos, I'm like, wow, I get to be a part of that. It's that's, that's crazy. But um, I, I'm so privileged. This past year in the summer, we've had four festivals across four different cities. In Tanzania, which is on the east coast of Africa. And we've seen, we've preached the gospel of Jesus to over 650,000 people in those four, three and a half And we've seen so many people who experienced the presence of God, you know, who came into the the festival field broken and hurting and got to experience the love of Jesus and got to hear that he died for them and that he loves them. uh, it's it's a big numbers, but sometimes we forget that in the big numbers, there's intimate stories you know, that happened to each and every person that came to the festival. And at all of the festivals we saw, I don't know, you don't see it as much in America, but deliverance is taking place. People who have been possessed by demons who are being set free, and that, means that their spirit, their soul, their mind, their will, their emotions, and their body is taken over and in control. And there was people who were, were, who were sick. Uh, there was a lady who you saw dancing around who came with crutches, who couldn't walk. And when we prayed for her, Jesus healed her. And just in the last festival, we, were at, we had four blind, four deaf ears that popped open. And let's just give Jesus glory. And I want to say what happens in Africa happens in America. You know, the same God, the same Holy Spirit, but it's when we step out in that faith and say, okay, Jesus, let me pray for this person, even when it might seem scary, or okay, Holy Spirit, lead me to someone um, in in Walmart, in what's a shopping place in, in Maryland, in Shop and Save, in Dollar General, but God is still moving here. And I know that he's moving through so many in each and every one of you. And thank you, because you are a part of this. Um, you are um, supporting me, you are one of my biggest supporters. So I just want to say thank you so much um, for allowing me to, to be in Africa and to do what I do. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about what I do. I am the Book of Acts training camp leader, so I get to train evangelists who are usually younger, around 50 in each of the cities that we go to. Um, So over the past year, we trained a little over 3,000 people in all four of those cities who are still now continuing. uh, We equip them with street equipment, so they're still continuing preaching the gospel, um, laying their hands on the sick, um, leading people into deliverance on the streets of their cities and um, I want to have Olivia come up and to share with you one of those stories because when we hear those numbers of 200 deliverances, 650,000 people, we can get lost in the numbers, but there's one, you know, I love City Reach, there's the one who has been touched by Jesus. So Olivia has a story that she wants to share with you and here she is.
0: Good morning, hi, I'm Olivia. Um, it is such a joy to be with you with you this morning. I just wanted to say that the worship really, it brought me to tears, and it is just, it's an honor to be with you this morning. But as Jeremiah said, um, at the end of summer, I actually live in Pittsburgh, but I was able to go join the team um, in Tanzania. We were in Kibaha, which is a small town in, in Tanzania near Dar es Salaam, um, but I was able to join the SOS Adventure team and Jeremiah there. Um, and while I tell this story, I just want to remind you, just hide this in your heart that uh, the harvest that we saw, the salvations that we saw, the, the deliverances, the healings, everything that you've sown, you, it, is, it is shared in the fruit of what we saw. Um, so everything that you are sowing, you are sharing in the fruit of the miracles and the deliverances that we saw. So hide that in your heart when I share this. With you. On the third night of the festival, uh, we saw a woman named Happiness, she in a tent, um, and in the Freedom Tent is where those that are manifesting demons are brought so that they can be set free. So I was in the Freedom Tent on night three of the festival um, when happiness was brought into the festival and she was manifesting, um, manifesting a demon. And as I was beginning to cast the local Tanzanians, um, the demon started to say something. It was speaking in Swahili. And I asked the translator, can you tell me what it's saying? Um, and the translator began to tell me that the demon was saying, I've marked her. I'm not leaving. I've marked her. And I looked at her hands, and on the palms of her hands, she had burn marks. There were burn marks in the middle of her palms. And I looked up her arms, and there were scratches all up and down her arms. Um, And on her stomach, there were actually drawings of snakes etched out on her stomach. Um, And so the demon was saying, I've marked her. I'm not leaving. Um, And we began to rebuke this and declare that she was marked with the blood of Jesus. And when we did, she was set free completely of all of the demonic oppression she was under. She was not possessed anymore. And she sat up, and I saw the joy in her eyes. I saw the joy and the relief, and we led her into a salvation prayer and baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget, as we led her into this, she was sitting with her hands up, crying, Asante Yesu, Asante Yesu. That means thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She was weeping for 10 minutes, just in awe of what God had done. And, and I began to learn her story after this. And she, she continued to tell us that she had been oppressed by demons since 1999, and that struck me. That's 21 years. That's as long as I've been on the earth, 21 years. Um, and she continued to tell us that it was actually her children that brought her to the festival um, because all, all over that time, the whole 21 years, she had been getting to lose her memory. The demons had, had took, taken her memories from her of who her children were, and she had completely forgotten who her kids were over those 21 years. She had three children in that time span and didn't know who they were at all. Um, and she was known as the confused woman in town. She had been to the witch doctors. That's why she became possessed in 1999. Um, and so over those entire 21 years, her children had been watching her mom go crazy and been being written off by the entire town. Um, and they believed <laughs> this was. I I I think that this was probably their last attempt to to see their mom set free and so they brought her with faith to the festival she didn't even want to be there she told us but her kids brought her and they said mom you need to be here Um, and so they brought her to the festival and each night of the festival her memory slowly began to come back of who her children were and on the last night when she was set free she had complete memory restored of exactly who her kids were and they left the festival that night as as a restored family back to a family unit saying, I know who my kids are, and they know me. Every memory restored. Their relationships completely restored as a mother with her sons and her daughters. And the thing that marked me about this story is, yes, that her memories came back, but not only that, but as her memories were restored, as her memories were restored, she knew exactly that God had been the one to do it for her. And that not only those memories that came back, but forever, for an eternity. She will spend that with her children. An eternity. That night, As they walked away from the festival that night, they, they walked as a family unit knowing we will be restored. And also, can you imagine the faith of a child? That God would honor the faith of a child. That's what marked me. That yes, he brought her memories back. But the children left knowing, God honored my faith. The faith of a child, and I think that is what he longs for us to have, is childlike faith, to come before God with our last-ditch attempt and say, I'm believing for a miracle. I know that all of those people in their life probably had no idea what they were doing. They probably had doubts. Why, why, are, they bringing, why are they bringing their mom to this festival? That She's too far gone. It's been 21 years. There's no way that she'll, she'll be delivered, or there's no way she'll be saved. But the kids had the faith, and they said, we need to get her to Jesus. We want to see a miracle, and God honored that miracle in Jesus' name. And so thank you so much for listening to this story.
2: Um, but there is one story about uh, one life that was changed, and um, again, thank you, um, Pastor Fred, Christine, thank you so much for um, having me today uh, Pastor David, thank you for plugging me in with the church last year, and church, thank you for welcoming me. Um, So I just got back three weeks ago, and I was driving in the car, actually with Olivia, and um, there was music playing. We were playing some music, and you know when your phone falls out, and then the radio starts playing, and then the radio's got some random song on. And that's actually what happened. So we're driving, we're in Pittsburgh, and we're listening to music, and her phone fell and I unplugged. And all of a sudden, music started to play from the radio, and um, it started to speak some lyrics, and the lyrics kind of shook me. Um, but a little bit before I go into the lyrics, let me, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself before I start to preach. Is that Okay. Give me a wave if that's okay, if I tell you about myself. Uh, I grew up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. How many of you know Gettysburg? Give me a lift. You know the bad, the Civil War. Most people know Gettysburg. Um, I know nothing about the history. I don't, which is sad because I lived there for so long. So don't ask me any questions. No, I grew up in Gettysburg uh, in a wonderful family. Uh, My dad was a pastor. My mother loves Jesus, Um, but at a young age, Around seventh or eighth grade, I got around people who didn't take me in the right path. So I remember I think the first time I got into drugs was around seventh grade and eighth grade and continuing into my high school years. Um, And it was fun. How many of you know sometimes things are fun in the world? You know, sometimes what people are doing are fun, and I enjoyed my time, but it came to a place when I was about 15 or 16 where I felt like there's got to be more than this. You know, there's got to be something better. There has to, uh, you know, it's fun to get high, but then the next day I feel just as depressed as I did the day before. And I remember um, I was sitting in my room one day, and my dad came in, and he said, hey, Jeremiah, we need to talk to you, and he came back out, and he told me that my family was going to be moving from Gettysburg to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so immediately, I was like, heck no, I don't want to go to Pittsburgh, you know, all my friends are here, and I actually had the opportunity to stay in that place because some of my friends had opened up their home, but you see, there was something in, there was a, there was like a pool in my heart. That felt, should I stay in Gettysburg or should I go to Pittsburgh? And it's funny because I was in a youth service um, the week before. And usually as a, youth, as a kid, I would just write off what the pastor was saying. You know, the pastor comes up. That's my time to get my phone out, to hang out. And then once he's done, I'll, I, you know, I'll go back to my life. But for some reason, the week prior, I was listening to that sermon. And the youth pastor talked about how he had to leave his friends, to follow something that God had for him. He, and, and I remember him saying that, and something in my heart deep down was like, I need to do that. And I remember praying in my head, hey, God, if you're real, I need your help because I can't leave my friends. You know, they're all I have. They're all I have. And, I, and, and fast forward a week later, my dad comes in and says, we're moving. And all of a sudden, I know deep down in my heart that this God may be real because now I have a way to leave my friends. And he answered that prayer. And I was sitting in my friend's basement. I told my dad I didn't want to go. And I was making plans to stay in Gettysburg. And I was sitting. Um, I was high. And I was on my, on my friend's couch. And all of a sudden, I felt like there was a bright light on me not phys- not physically a bright light but l- such a like eyes someone looking down at me and i felt like all of my shame all of my brokenness all of my hurt was open you know when, when when you can't hide something and i heard the audible voice of the holy spirit only time i've ever heard the audible voice of the holy spirit and i heard i've made you for more than this and I remember looking at my friends because it sounded like a, an authoritative voice. I looked at my friends because I thought they had heard it too because I was like, that was loud. And I looked at them, and they were just doing their stuff, and I began to cry. And, you know, at those moments, you know, five, six years ago, what I didn't know was that the Holy Spirit was the one who was tugging on my heart. The Holy Spirit was the one who was leading me to Pittsburgh. And actually, I went to Africa Um, It was that night I decided that I would move to Pittsburgh. And I went to Africa the first time a few weeks later. And it was in Africa where I saw God, where I saw thousands of people, and I heard about Jesus clearly for the first time. I saw people being saved. I saw people who were being set free from demons. I saw miracles taking place. And I was like, God, I kind of believed in you, but I didn't realize that you were so active. I didn't realize that you were moving. You know, I didn't realize that you wanted to use us as believers to move to a world that is hurting and broken and longing for the love of Jesus. And it was really on the festival where I found, I want to give my life to this. And I didn't know, you know, fully about Jesus or the gospel. I'd grown up, but I didn't really pay attention. And it was that night that marked me. And since then, I've been going to Africa every year since. I've been to Bible school. And, and God is good. When I moved to Pittsburgh, I met my closest friends who plugged me into a church who taught me about what it means to follow Jesus and to have a relationship with him. Because all I used to think it was was just a whole bunch of rules. <laughs> How many of you grow up and you think, yeah, like church is just some rules. I don't want more rules. I got enough of those from my parents. Um, but it's all out of love. Parents, let's give a hand for the parents in the room. Uh, but that's a little bit about myself. So, you know, I'm a messed up kid from Gettysburg who was saved by Jesus. And today I want to um, give you a message. I was driving the other week. Fast forward to what I said earlier. I was driving the other week, and we were playing that song in the car. And the phone falls out, and the radio starts to play. And I heard the music, and it, it, it shook me because It broke my heart, the lyrics that I was hearing. And the lyrics talked about a man and a woman, and it talked about, you know, the way that you touch me, the way that you're with me. Um, and And it keeps on going, and I know we have others in the room, so I'll make sure I don't want to go into anything explicit, but it says, it keeps going about the relationship between this man and woman. And then it says, after some time, you will believe that God is a woman. Um, regardless of God is a woman or God is a man, what the lyrics were saying was, hey, the way that you make me feel. The way that you make me feel is why you will be God, you know, you deserve all of my passion, my devotion because the way that you made me feel. And honestly, it put the, uh, um, the fear of the like, what is happening? And I looked around and I began to just think about the world that we live in. And I began to think, you know, we're living in a world that's really rebelling against God. And it has so much to do with the spiritual things, with what the enemy, the devil, is doing in the spiritual realm. But I began to think, you know, we're living in a world that is rebelling against God. And I thought, why? And it's because the the filter, it's because our feelings and what we think are the filter by which our culture decides what is right and wrong. Our feelings and what we think is the filter by which our culture makes our choices. And we're all being taught this, you know. Um, and it, 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 had, it had me scared for the generation that's growing up. It had me scared for um, Christians who are trying to stand strong in a culture that is so different from the one that they're trying to live. You know, because God tells us to walk in purity, and holiness, and love, and the culture that we live in is so much different. And, you know, rebellion can look like my way is the only way. Rebellion can look like my truth is the truth. Rebellion can look like calling yourself God. And I began to just think, and I wasn't really surprised because I know that we all see what's happening in music and what is pushing out to all of us into the next generation and we look at relationships and um, something that should be a container in marriage our culture just says hey do it when you feel like you know whatever if whatever you think do or when we look in politics we see dishonor and we see um, ha- hates and we see fear and I'm not saying all this so that we get in a doom or a gloom about our culture, but we do have to realize that the culture we're living in is different than the culture that God tells us to walk in. And uh, I thought, and I even want to say in schools. You know, in schools, kids are, are growing up and they're being taught, hey, what you feel is who you are rather than who you've been created to be. In relationships, we see, hey, date who you want if it feels
1: right. If you think it's right, do it.
2: I'm in this place. And I'm not coming after anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus because I understand that my battle is not against people. My battle is against the devil who is influencing and leading people away from the person of Jesus. And it's because all of us are in a culture that tells us our feelings and what we think is the filter for how we should make our choices and determine what truth is. So that's why the title of my sermon today is Check Your Filter. Um, Look at your neighbor and say, Check your filter. Check your filter. Um, and I want to read two verses very quickly uh, from the Bible that tells us about the culture that we will live in. So let me start with Matthew 24 really quick, and I'll just read this fast. It'll probably be up on the screen behind me. And because lawlessness will be increased, and lawlessness means to be without law, to be without a standard for what is right, and wrong to be without a standard of what is truth and because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures till the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come how many of you are happy that we have good news in a world that is broken and hurting. Amen? And let me read one more. Romans 1.25. And both of these verses are telling us that what is happening in culture should not, it should not um, be something that we didn't expect. We should expect it. Romans 1.25, they, being mankind, those created by God, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And it's because they have the wrong filter. And here was my question as I sat in that car. uh, And we can throw it up on the screen. My question was, how do we stand strong as Christians in a culture that is rebelling against God? How do we stand strong in a culture that's coming against the standards and the and the um and the, the things that God has put in place? And I was reading in Samuel. How many of you know the book of Samuel? It's in the Old Testament, and I wanted to look at the life of King Saul. Has anyone heard of King Saul? If you haven't, it's okay. You know, I used to be in Bible school a few years ago, and they would always tell us, hey, flip to you know, Acts or flip to Exodus. And it was always embarrassing because I was the one who would flip to like the content, you know, like where it tells you where the books are. And I'm next to all the Bible school students who are flipping right to the pages. And I'm like, I didn't even know we had a book of Ruth. Where's Ruth? <laughs> so if you don't know King Saul, it's okay. He was the first king of Israel. And we have this prophet Samuel. And in the Old Testament, God spoke to the people of Israel through prophets. So when the prophets were speaking, it was seen as the word of God. Hey, he's speaking, so let's listen because God is trying to lead us. And Samuel, this prophet, puts King Saul in, in as a king over Israel, and he's the first king over Israel. And, you know, in the Bible, we can look at situations where, hey, this person did something really great, so let's learn from it, let's think about it. And today, we're going to look at, hey, King Saul messed up. (laughs) King Saul didn't do a good job. (laughs) And so uh, we can look at the life of King Saul and see some ways um, that he, a pattern in his life that he set up that led him to a certain thing that we will talk about. And I'll start with the first thing. Samuel came to King Saul, and he told him in 1 Samuel chapter 10, they can put it up on the screen, he's talking to King Saul and he says, "'Then go down before me to Gilgal, "'and behold, I'm coming down to you "'to offer burnt offerings, "'and to sacrifice peace offerings, Seven days you should wait until I come to you, and I show you what you shall do. So Samuel's talking to King Saul, and he's saying, hey, go down to this place and wait there until I come. And in the Old Testament, they used to do um, sacrifices, but all this was was, hey, we're going to devote this battle you're going into to God, and I want you to do that first before you go in. And we look in a few chapters later, In 1 Samuel 13, and we see Saul is at this place. So Saul is hanging out in this place called Gilgal, and his army, the Israelites, had just won a battle against the Philistines. And you know, after you win a battle, you're feeling good, you're excited, the troops are jumping around. But all of a sudden, when they started to look over at the Philistines, they realized that they started building an army because they were upset. So, Saul is hanging out with all of his commanders and all of his soldiers, and they're seeing this army that is rising up, and they're waiting for Samuel to come. And Saul was told by Samuel, Hey, don't go into that battle until I'm there. And Saul is hearing from his commanders and from his soldiers Hey, look, they're growing each day by the thousands. The longer we wait, the harder it's going to be for us. So he's telling him, they're telling him, hey, let's go now. Let's go fight now. There's voices coming from around him, from those he trusts, from his soldiers. And even to him, to King Saul, he's probably looking at the situation and he's saying, we need to go. The sooner we go, the better chance we have. And to him, it felt right for them to go. Intellectually, it looked right for them to go. And we see that Saul decided to do the sacrifice. And let me read there. It says in 1 Samuel 13, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So you see, they're looking at this huge army that's building up, and they're running, they're like, uh-uh, I ain't going against them. You have fun. And So Saul is he's hearing voices of what he should do. He thinks and feels like it looks right for them to attack. People are scattering. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered, had come together at this place, Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered this sacrifice. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And then it continues talking about a new king. But what I want to say is that the filter that Saul used to make his choices was the voices that were around him was what he felt and what he thought would be best. But it led him, look, we see what it led him. It says, if you would have listened to me, Saul, your kingdom would have been established forever. And sometimes there's things in this life that they look good. It feels good. But it's not the best. And God has put things Principles and standards in place, not to control us, but to protect us. (laughs) And and the things that God has for us are better than what the world has. And And he sees he had the wrong filter. Saul had the wrong filter. And if he would have had the right one, his kingdom would have been established forever. And he rebelled against God. And I don't want to put condemnation because how many of none of us are perfect? Amen. But we have a perfect God, a perfect Jesus who died for us. So that through faith we could have life. And none of us are perfect and we all mess up. But what I want to say is that Saul created a pattern in his life. It wasn't this one circumstance where his filter um, for how he made his choices was his thoughts and his feelings, but it was a pattern that he built in his life that led him away from God and led him um, to, to really fall to the voices that were around him. Uh, so let's go to first Samuel 15 uh, and let me give you some context to this. Now now we're looking at another story. So it's a little bit after and Samuel comes back hey, okay. To go against the Amalekites, this people group, you know, this people group had constantly attacked Israel multiple times. They were known for attacking Israel when they shouldn't have. When it And this is what it says that Saul did after. 1 Samuel 15, it says, But Saul and the people spared agog and the best of the sheep and the oxen and all the calves and lambs and all that was good and would not destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And Saul defeated the Amalekites um, from Havilah, that's my guess, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, and took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. And he disobeyed what God had asked him to do. He was told, hey, go and destroy. But what he did was, when his people were like, hey, why would, we destroy, why would we kill these animals? They're good. They're good. Why would we destroy them? Or, or even King Saul himself, it says that he kept the king of those people. And he wanted to keep the king because it was a trophy. Hey, look at the people that I have conquered. And he disobeyed God because what he felt was right. And what those around him told him, hey, you know, let's keep these things. They're good. Let's keep these things. They're good. And as I was reading this scripture, I thought there's so many things in the world and the culture that we live in that seem good. But when we start to go after them, it leads to separating ourselves from God. It leads to our destruction. And it says this, King Saul comes and he talks to, I mean, Samuel comes and talks to King Saul and he, in 1 Samuel 15, 23 to 24, and this is what he says to Samuel, um, to, this is what Samuel says to King Saul after. After these two instances. After um, both of the instances that Saul did. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and presumption is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and I have obeyed their voice. And as I started to think about this scripture and I saw that, to my mind, it's like, hey, I understand why Saul would keep those things. I understand why he would make the sacrifice so that he could go into battle. It's because it seems good. And I wanted to encourage us, but also say, hey, if we want to stand strong in a culture that is living different than what the Word of God tells us to do, our filter by which we make our decisions and by which we determine truth has to be the Word that God has spoken. And God has spoken many words in the Bible, and it is truth, and it is life to us. But if our filter is what we feel and what we think, which I'm not saying our feelings and what we think is always bad, because it's not. But I'm just saying it's a bad leader. It shouldn't lead your life, because when it leads your life, you, you won't, people won't be able to tell if you're a Christian or not. Because as Christians, we are supposed to look different, not because we want a pride, but because when the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell in us, it creates something different. Amen? And they can, Saul was rejected because his filter by which he made his decisions was what he felt, thought, and the voices of those around him, rather than the word that God had spoken. There's gonna be a lot of voices. In the in the schools that we're growing, if you're younger in the schools you're growing up in, you will see that they are doing things different than maybe what your parents say or what the word of God says. And I want to tell you, don't follow them. Follow truth. We need something that is solid, something we can stand on. And when our feelings, what we think is our filter for how we decide what we're gonna do, we'll always change. Because one day I'm happy, one day I'm not. You know, our feelings are constantly changing. But we need truth that is timeless, that is everlasting, that does not change. And the word that God has spoken is the Bible. And he's given it to us. And when we allow the word of God to be our filter, when we make decisions, when we determine what truth is, we will be able to stand strong in a culture that is so much different than God's culture. So, the application for today's message is the very title of the message. Look at your neighbor, the other neighbor, and say, You gotta check your filter. You gotta check your filter. When you feel something, when you think something, when your friends, or your colleagues, you something there's voices. You have to let the word of God be your filter so that you can walk in the way that he wants you to walk in. And I will say this, that following God requires sacrifice. But the sacrifice that you will give is nothing compared to what you will gain. It's nothing compared to what you will gain. Let me tell you a story. My testimony... When I left my friends in Gettysburg, five of my closest friends, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in life. Up till now, there's a few others, but it was one of the hardest things. When you're a young kid, you're 15, and you're leaving all you've ever known, you're leaving your closest friends, who you play basketball with, who you live life with. And that was the hardest thing, was leaving them. And I, when I went to Pittsburgh, I grew up, I went to Bible school, and one day I had my friend call me. I hadn't talked to him in years, just because I knew if I, when I was around him, I didn't know if I was strong enough yet to be around him. And my friend was up at IUP, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and he was in a frat, he was um, drinking and in drugs, and he told me, and he called me, and I picked up the phone and he said, Jeremiah, Every night I wake up, there's ghosts that are surrounding my bed. And I I began to listen to his story. He said, they're starting to throw me against my wall. He said, I've gotten into meditation. I've gotten into some other stuff. I don't know what to do. But when I was in that room, all I knew to do was to call for Jesus. I don't know nothing about Jesus, but in that moment when they were coming against me, the only thing I knew was to call for Jesus. And he said, when I called for Jesus, they ran. He said, the atmosphere in the room changed. He said, I don't know who Jesus is, but the atmosphere in that place changed. And I got goosebumps. And I began to tell him and give him language to what those ghosts were. I said, there's demons and there's angels. There's the devil and there's God. And God loves you. And the person of Jesus died for you so that through his death and resurrection and through faith in him, you can have life. And he gave his life to Jesus on the phone that day, and because of him, of he, he, his other friend who we grew up with, one of my closest friends, was in the same dorm with him at college, and he saw a difference in Nathan, and he said, I want what you have. Tanner gave his life to Jesus, and then my friend Trevor, he said, hey, I grew up in church, but something's going on with these guys, so he started to to come to our weekly Bible study that we'd have. And then Nathan led our friend Kyle to Jesus. And I'm telling you, now I live in Pittsburgh with five of my closest friends who I got to baptize in a lake because (laughs) what I gave up. (laughs) And not me, but by grace, by the Holy Spirit. And so you're going to have to give up things that you feel is right. You're going to have to give up some friends maybe. You're going to have to give up a relationship. You're going to have to give up a workplace. But I'm telling you, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. Because in the end, God will do abundantly what you think. Saul lost the kingdom, but he could have had everything. He says, your kingdom could have lasted if you would have just obeyed me and trusted me. And maybe you're not a Christian here and you say, well, Maybe I don't trust the Word of God. Well, I'm telling you, start to dig into it. I could go into another sermon about the history of the Bible and archaeological findings of the Bible, but that doesn't matter now. Because God's not scared of your questions. He loves your questions. And don't run from the questions you have, but run into them, run to them. Because in the end, you will find the person of Jesus. But I had when I was in the car, I had such an urgency that I felt was from the Holy Spirit that there's Christians and there's people, how do we stay When culture is so attractive, when culture, when there's so many voices, when we feel something so strongly. And as I read this, that's what I came to. It's our filter. How are we filtered? What is our filter? Is it the word of God? Or is it our feelings and what we think? And I want to say this, City Reach Cumberland, when you become a church, which I know you are, but when you become a church, that the word that God has spoken will be your filter. You will start to have a culture that is different than the culture that you are in. And it and it may repel some, but it will attract many. And they will say, What is going on at that church? Why do they love like that? Why do they honor like that? When I'm around and they have such hospitality, because when the word of God starts to transform us, we start to walk in his will. We start to walk in the way he wants us to walk. We start to walk in obedience. Let the word of God be the filter by which you make your decisions, by which you determine truth, and your life will be good. It's funny, not meaning you won't go through hard things, because you will. It's funny because I didn't realize this until after I had uh, created this sermon for today, but in, it actually says it right when Samuel is telling, appointing Saul as king. He says this to Saul and to the people. Let me just find the verse. He says, it will be well with you, Israel, it will be well with you, Saul, if the both of you fear God, which means to reveal Him, to trust in Him, serve Him, and obey His voice. It will be well. And that's for us. Let's, let's let the word that God has spoken become our filter, and we will have to sacrifice things. We will have to give things up, but in the end, God will come through. Amen. And in the end, you will be a light in a place that is dark. You will be truth in a place that has no truth. And people will say, there's something different about them that I need. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I'm not a Christian. I'm living in this world. We're all living in this world. When I say living in this world, I mean doing things that are opposite of what the Word of God tells us to do. And you're saying, I enjoy it. (laughs) I enjoy it. I want to tell you today that there's something better. I want to tell you that every word in this Bible, every chapter, every 66 books, it points to the person of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that none can come to the Father except through Him. You see, in the hearts of all of us is eternity. We all know that there's more than just this life. There's more than just what I feel and what I think. And the Bible tells us that in the beginning, mankind sinned and separated ourselves from God. And God loved us so much that He sent His Son for each of us. He came on a rescue mission. He came on a mission of love. To come to live a perfect life. To die on a cross. And three days later to raise from the dead, and on that cross, he took our sin. And, you know, today, maybe you say, yes, I'm living in the world, and I don't know if I want to turn. I don't know if I want to become a Christian. I don't know if I want to give up the things that I'm living with. i am come to tell you that Jesus is better, because where I find myself was a place in hopelessness. And here, everyone can stand up. If we have a pianoist, they can come up and, and play on the piano, thank you so much. You know, when I was 15, I was young, but I found myself in a place that I felt so hopeless. And I was living by I, how I felt and what I thought was fun and what was right, and it was. But it led to me feeling so empty and so broken and so depressed Because there had to be a purpose. There had to be a purpose to why I'm here. Someone had to have made me uniquely, beautifully. I've come to tell you that the word of God is truth and the word tells us that every person in this room was made with a purpose, was made uniquely, was made by the hands of God. And maybe you say, the world is so tempting, but I'm here to tell you, when you will give it up, when you will surrender your life, and you will say, Jesus, I don't fully know you, but there's something right now, my heart is speaking to me. There's something inside of me that says, you're better. And that's what I had when I sat on that couch. I said, there has to be something better. And the Holy Spirit's in this room right now, and He's moving on the heart's. Of each of you and if you are in this room and you say I've never given my life to Jesus but today I want to I want us all to just close our eyes because right now it doesn't matter who's around you right now it doesn't matter what they think around you right now what matters is truth and I've come to tell you that there's truth in Jesus. I've come to tell you that there is hope, there is peace, there is joy in the person of Jesus that this world will not give you. Hallelujah. I've come to tell you that he came because he loves you. I've come to tell you that he rose from the dead and he is alive today and he's in this room. You can sense him through his presence. You can't see the air, but you can see its effects. And maybe you're in this room and you say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. On the count of three, I want to give you that choice. Because the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I was in that basement smoking 2,000 years earlier, Jesus knew. And he died for me and he died for you. When you were living with that person you shouldn't have. He died for you when you were doing those things you shouldn't have. And it's because he loves you. It's because he has something greater for you. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to surrender your life to Jesus. And maybe you don't fully know, but something in you is saying, I want to. Uh, Then I want you to lift your hand on the count of three. Ready? One, Jesus loves you. Two, he is the only truth. And three, lift up your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, just lift your hand. And when you're lifting your hand, you're telling him, Jesus, I'm surrendering to you. Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I want to pray a prayer with everyone who raised their hand. And if I can have the whole church pray with me so that we can come together behind those who said yes to Jesus. And let's all pray out loud. Let's say, Jesus. Come on, let's say it loud. Let's say it with joy. Let's say, Jesus. Thank you that you came for me. That you came for us. When we were broken, thank you that you died on the cross. Thank you that you took my sin. Thank you that you rose from the dead. And today I put my faith in you. Today I turn from sin and I follow you. So I can live in eternity with heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. And. You know, the Word of God is truth. And maybe you're still wrestling here and you say, I'm not for sure. Like I said, dig into those questions you have, search them out. Because when you start to read this, the Holy Spirit starts to move in and through you. You know, the Word of God in Psalm 103, as we were talking to people, it sounded like some people were going through some hard times and some people were sick. And You know, I believe that Jesus still heals. I believe that the Holy Spirit still moves. I believe that He still sets people free. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all of our sin and who heals all of our diseases. You know, in 2 Peter it says by His wounds on that cross, by His wounds that He was whipped, we are healed. In Malachi 4 it says when the sun rises, it rises with healing in its rays." You see, when Jesus rose from that cross, He rose with healing. And today if there's someone in this room and you're struggling Uh, with something that you need prayer for healing with, I want to pray with you. We want to pray with you for healing because we believe that God is alive, because we believe that the Word is truth no matter what I feel or think. And so if you're here today and you want prayer, I just want to invite you to come to the front so that we can pray with you. Maybe you had a diagnosis of cancer from the doctor. Maybe you have a tumor. Maybe um, your ear isn't working properly. If you're here today and you say, Jesus, I want to touch from you. You can come to the front so that we can pray with you. Because we believe that God will heal you. And we can start to pray with them. Olivia, you can start to pray with them. And here, if we all just close our eyes, I want to start to end the service. But you know what? Before I end, let me say one last thing. The Bible tells us if we want to stand strong in this culture, yes, the Word of God has to be our filter. But the Bible tells us about something else. After we give our lives to Jesus, it's like an empty cup that's being filled with water because the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But he doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to live in you. He wants to overflow out of you onto others. And we call that baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is power to live a life like Jesus lived. You know, a fighter fighter never goes into a fire without his suit because he wouldn't be equipped for his duty. And as Christians, baptism in the Holy Spirit is like our working clothes. It equips us to be able to preach the gospel with boldness. It equips us to be able to lay our hands on the sick with faith. It equips us when we walk into rooms that demons start to shake because the power of God. In Luke 11, let me read this scripture. In Luke 11, it says this. The last chapter of Luke, excuse me, 24. It's Jesus talking to his disciples and he tells them, hey, I want you to stay in this city until you receive the Holy Spirit, until he comes on you to clothe you. He says, don't go anywhere until you do that. And this is what he says, verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of, the whole, of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Baptism in the Holy Spirit clothes you with power. To be able to walk with boldness. To pray for the sick. When you read the Bible, you have revelation like you've never had before. In this culture that is coming against God, we need power to be able to withstand. And baptism in the Holy Spirit is a promise for every believer. Acts 1.8 says this, Jesus, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. In Judea, and in Jerusalem, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So maybe you're set here today, and you say, I want to be a witness. I want to be a representative. I want to be a light in dark places. And you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to give you the chance, because the Bible says that all it takes is asking. If the Father gives good gifts. So if you're here today, and you say, I want that. I want to... Preach with boldness to my friends like I've never done before. I want to pray for the sick with faith. I want revelation in the Word of God. I want a life led by the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit will empower you for that. So if you're here and you say, I want that empowerment. I want to be clothed with power. I want to receive my working clothes. I just want you to lift up your hand if that's something that you want to do. Don't be scared of what your friends are doing. If you lifted your hand, I want you to just come forward. And I know that takes a step of faith, but if you would take the step with me. If you would just come to the front. Okay. Where you are. It's okay where you are. I want everyone to put your hands out like this. And when I start to pray over all of you, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want you to start to just ask. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, baptize me. Holy Spirit, fill me with fire. Holy Spirit, come on me. And as you start to ask Him, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, it felt like a warmth was covering my body. And the Bible says that when the early disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they start to speak in other tongues. You know, when we start, when the Holy Spirit comes on us, you will start to speak out of your mouth. So right now, I want you to put your hands out, and I want you to just start to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, clothe me with power. Holy Spirit, I want this gift. Holy Spirit, I want to be baptized in you. God, I pray for everyone in this church. I pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit that brings power to live boldly, to live with faith, with courage like never before will come on everyone in this room. I pray that your presence will touch everyone in this room. God, where they are, I pray that when they go back to school, that they will be able to preach to their friends with boldness like they never had. I pray over everyone that when they open the word of God, they will have revelation like never before. I pray that the sins that they couldn't conquer in the past, they will start to say no to because of the empowerment of your spirit. God, I pray that they will be your hands and your feet in the city of Cumberland, Maryland. Lord, I bless them. God, let your word be their filter for their lives. God, I pray that they will give you everything, and when they do, it will be well. God, I pray that their trust will be in you. God, let them make disciples in this city. Let them love those who are hurting and broken. Let them bring a different culture into every room, into every workplace, into every hospital, into every restaurant that they walk into. Let them be a light in this city. I pray that their mouths would be used to preach the gospel. I pray that their mouths would be used to love, that their hands and their feet would be used to serve you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be
1: seated. (laughs) (laughs) You can't sit down after that. Thank you, Jeremiah. Just reiterate what he said is that, you know, we hear a lot of stories from overseas, but God is the same here as anywhere in the world same God that saves the same God that heals the same God that baptizes with fire Holy Spirit And if you ask God to fill you today or baptize you Jesus would baptize you for the first time or maybe you said it was a long time ago you know there, there's multiple we all need refilled we all need rebaptized you know the, the same Peter that preached in Acts 2 And the same Peter and John that healed the man, and then they were interrogated later. They asked Jesus, "Stretch your hand to heal, refill us again." And we all need refilled, so don't just stop with once. Keep pursuing it. There's more. There's more. Father God, I just thank you today for for your presence here. God, I thank you for the anointing that that is on Jeremiah's life. Lord, I thank you that that uh lord that the grace that's on him is not in vain lord that he's not wasting your grace that he's living his life to the full and allowing you to live your fullest life life through him so father we bless him right now we bless him lord prosper him in everything he does Father, everything he sets his hand to will be blessed, Lord, whether that's physical healings, salvations, financial, whatever it is, Lord, every area of his life is prosperous in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now over his his engagement. Lord, that you've brought together a couple that both love you. Father, let them walk the engagement time out. In honor to you, in honor to each other, doing things the right way, the way you intended it to be, Lord. I thank you for the sacrifices they're willing to make, Father. Honor them, multiply things in their life, Lord. Just bless their marriage next year. May they impact the world for you. Father, we're thankful to be partners with them. We're thankful for what you're going to do through them. God, I thank you for the people that were healed today. Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you today. May his face shine on you.